Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, and I'm excited to introduce to you my friend and colleague Kay Formanek. Kay is a global speaker on diversity and inclusion. She's a visiting lecturer at leading business schools and founder of Diversity and Performance, which is committed to unleashing the power of diversity performance within profit and not-for-profit organizations around the world. Within this role, Kay offers advisory and research services, including coaching for inclusive and strategic diversity leaders. She's worked for leading global professional services organizations for more than 20 years as both partner and managing director, actively supporting their D&I strategy realization. Her proven approach to leading diversity strategically draws on extensive research and advisory work with more than 50 organizations, and I'm excited to share some of those insights with you all today. So Kay, welcome to People First. Well, thank you very much, Morag, for uh, giving me this platform to talk about diversity and inclusion and equity. Thank you. Oh, I am just so excited for this conversation. And it's interesting because DEIB, that's the acronym of choice at the moment, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. It is so easy for it to be a buzzword. Because for me personally, I look at the world, the world is diverse. There is only one Morag. There are 7 billion other people on the planet. There's diversity. And yet, when we look at the corporate landscape in which I get to play, it feels less diverse. So help me understand, Kay, where is the breakdown in DE&IB, diversity and inclusion? Why aren't we seeing that translate into every aspect of our lives? So there is uh, a, a large reason and, uh, and in fact, a number which I'll be talking about. You know, for the last 60 years, ever since we've defined diversity in the constitutions of various countries, uh, there has been focus on diversity and inclusion. And yet, despite all this time and all the investment, when one really takes a step back and looks at, so what has been delivered until now? you can see that we're still on shaky ground. The first reason why all this focus and the intention and the investment isn't delivering really the benefits of the objectives is I see that organizations are not looking at it in a very strategic way. So easy for organizations to be pressured through what they're reading, looking at what others are doing versus taking the step back and saying, so what is my mandate and why is diversity, inclusion, equity and belonging important for delivering that mandate? So reason number one, a lack of a strategic approach. Reason number two is interestingly enough, we don't have a shared vocabulary within the organization what we mean by diversity and diversity should mean different things for different organizations. So if I'm in an organization and what is important for me is a consumer group that is young and globally placed, what is going to be important for me is to really put a focus on the dimension of diversity, which is about age and a multicultural background, which allows me to better understand my consumers. But on the other hand, if I am, for example, a 
central bank where I need to mitigate risk on behalf of my citizens, then the diversity that I need is to allow me to have a good perspective of this global world. Um, and it is about specializations and focus. So the second reason, we're not defining the dimensions of diversity in light of our environment. And third thing is we tend to push it to another function to lead it. And in fact, it needs to be embraced by leadership, but it can't be driven top down because it has to be embraced also by people within the organization because they've got a role to play. So those are really the three key reasons that I see. It's interesting you talk there about it can't be a top-down initiative. I've seen that too many times where it's delegated sometimes to human resources or ERGs and affinity groups. Congratulations, go solve the problem yourselves. And, you know, we as leadership have, have done our bit. But to your point, it's a two-way conversation throughout that whole process. So tell me more about the, the role of leadership in understanding the elements that need to be in place to even start an effective conversation, let alone an effective program? Because diversity um, has had such a rocky road, many people have become cynical about diversity, inclusion, equity. One of the reasons is that they don't actually believe in the authenticity of what leaders are saying about diversity. And they're cynical because in fact, they don't see leaders walking the talk of diversity. So you're asking about the role of leadership. First of all, a leader should know why it is critical to be navigating diversity for the organization. Secondly, they need to be displaying the behavior of inclusiveness. You know, if they're calling about, we want to be more diverse, but they are someone that demonstrates lots of microaggressions, are biased, are not tolerant, are not leading in their own behavior to an inclusive environment, people really become quite cynical. And leaders need to invite people to actually belong through creating interventions. For example, uh, when they're chairing a meeting, being on the lookout in terms of those people who are not having a sense of belonging, who are not contributing because they might be afraid, um, uh, uh, providing the sponsorship. So all these very important roles. And one th other thing that I'd like to say, there isn't a possibility for diversity dimensions to deliver benefits without inclusion. And what research and my work has also shown is that the behaviors and day-to-day -day actions of leaders have a 70% impact on whether an environment inclusive or not. So diversity plus leadership then actually gives this inclusiveness that gives the benefits. So we've talked, you touched on unconscious bias and some of the um, habits and processes and systems that have built up over millennia in the workplace that we adopt probably without being thoughtful that in of themselves prevent a sense of inclusion. So could you give us some examples of behaviours that I or others may be demonstrating on a day-to-day -day basis without the intent to be exclusionary, but that's the impact that they may be having? 
It's a lovely question. Let me be very practical by giving examples. So the leader who sets up a meeting and invites candidates without giving a topic of what the meeting is, what is the objective and the topic line items and does not send out some pre-reading is in fact unwittingly going to exclude those people who identify in the group of introverts. Because introverts actually like to know and about what are we going to be talking about? How can I inform myself? Because introverts by nature like to be thoughtful and reflective versus just calling something uh, from the roof. Extroverts find that less difficult. Uh, so if you're inclusive, you're saying, I wish to take all personality types within my meeting. Uh, there are some leaders who immediately go to the order of the day. They effectively say, we're having a meeting and this is what we're going to do, and they jump into it. What we've seen is the ritual of check-in of a chair of a meeting, which is simply saying a very good day before we start our, our business at hand. Let's simply have a round where we do a check-in. How are you feeling today? Um, sometimes the question is, what prevents you from being present? Because maybe you're waiting for a call from a sick mm -hmm. relative something. You know, that's once again sets. The third uh, quality of an inclusive leader is someone, if they see that someone is being excluded, for example, they're trying to say something uh, or they have said something, but, but they're not listened to, becomes like a conductor. You know, group, I, I hear that Murag wishes to say something. She's got an amazing uh, background it's worth listening carefully and piggybacking on her ideas. You know, these are the uh, interventions. It would be someone who, if they see a sexist or racist remark, or even a stereotypical remark, is able to have the courageous uh, discussion, not as a parent to a child, which is, you know, you, you bad, bad person, what have you done? But rather, you know, something has been said and I'm feeling somewhat uncomfortable. May I highlight why it is? You know, it's that person who's able in a seamless, non-hostile way interact when there is a hostility uh, uh, that has been made. Mm -hmm. I know for myself that that last example, in terms of having the courage to step in and signal my own discomfort or signal the possibility of anyone's discomfort, is something that I wrestle with internally and sometimes so long that the, I feel like the moment has passed. And so as individuals looking for those, practicing, rehearsing in our heads, just getting comfortable with the uncomfortable so we can make it better for everyone. So I know in your book, Beyond DNI, you talk about the five elements that need to be in place uh, for to even embark on this. And you describe it as the virtuous circle. So tell us about the virtuous circle. So the virtuous circle is indeed talking about the five elements that need to be present to indeed facilitate the objectives or the goals around diversity programs coming to be. And what I need to say first is there are very various reasons that organizations pursue diversity and inclusion. You know, some simply don't want to have a compliance issue that we call mm -hmm. organizations. There are others 
who say, you know, I don't want to be penalized by my stakeholders, internal or external. So I'm going to at least do what they're expecting. You know, uh, stage three organizations are saying, I really am going to pursue this because I believe I'm going to have the performance of better decision making and creativity and innovation and engagement. Stage four organizations are saying, I need to pursue this because without that, I'm not going to survive in this complex world. And uh, stage five organizations are saying, my delivery of diversity, equity and inclusion is to support a more sustainable society. Now, independent of what are your goals, there are five elements that need to be in place. And I'm going to start with them. Step number one is what I call the purpose, the clarity of why this is important strategically to your mandate. We've talked about that already. Step two is when that is clear, you start having the basis to identify the diversity dimensions of diversity, the D, that need to be, you know, is it, are we talking about specialization or age or gender? Are we talking about organizational experience? You know, what dimensions of diversity are required to satisfy that purpose? Then we need the conditions of inclusion, the third element, which is about how do you create a safe and brave environment for people to really contribute? So it's not just being welcomed to the table, but welcomed to speak and share your, your, your background. The next one is leadership. Uh, in fact, what we have seen is the ingredients for inclusion cannot be present without the leadership behaviors and actions, which we've just been talking about. And last but not least is equity. You know, many people think that once you've invited people to the table, mm. created the dynamics, that there is some inclusion, there is that leadership and the purpose that voila, you've got everything. Mm -hmm. but actually, we do have systemic bias within our organizations and society. And we need to understand that not everyone feels equally equal. You know, mm -hmm. so you have to actually foster that equity for people from all different dimensions and understanding that there is bias. What I love about the virtuous circle is it feels universal. I'm curious though, I mean, you grew up in South Africa, you're living in the Netherlands, you've worked with organizations around the world. When it comes to applying this common thread, the skeleton for DNI as you present it, how does the conversation what have you observed as you work globally to help resolve these challenges? Yeah. You're very much uh, correct, Marag. What I love about the model, it is global. So independent of nation, country, or independent of the industry or organization, what you see is that these elements need to be present in varying degrees and focus. So often what I do is I come to an organization and I talk about this concept, you know, in order to get your performance, you need these elements. And we start exploring where's the biggest gap in that virtuous circle. There will be some people who say it's inclusive. And mm -hmm. uh, we've uh, had an inclusiveness uh, index. We see that people are not feeling safe. Uh, they're not uh, willing to, or they could say, 
actually we've got these dimensions, but it's really about equity. We are seeing that there is a big bias uh, that we're having and we need to mitigate it. So the virtuous circle is almost that first discussion that you can have when you're looking at, you know, a top-down basis. What are the things that are present or not present? And you can start uh, discussing it. What you will see is that sometimes you've got environments and even nations which are quite hierarchical. Mm -hmm. As a result, usually that will immediately mean that in the virtuous circle in terms of leadership and the role of leader, one really needs to uh, uh, spend some time because that leader is responsible for uh, creating this inclusive environment. And yes, there is often a fear attached to that hierarchy. Uh, In other places where, for example, you've had a lot of racism, so for the work that I'm doing in in the United States, but in a country like South Africa, um, clearly the equity condition is not being met. And so you really have to be looking at what type of microaggressions do we have? What are the stereotypes? How do we de-bias our processes? So uh, certainly you would understand, depending on your context, which of these elements of the virtuous circle do you really have to spend time and effort on? I love that. It kind of influences where you enter into the virtuous circle and therefore the priority that you move them. It's not a linear process. It's not a silver bullet, a one size fits all. It goes back to your very first comment around understanding the unique context for that organization. What are we trying to achieve and why? Exactly. Which makes me also think often I see DNI being positioned with the business case, the business case for DNI. And then I look at it and I think, but this isn't about dollars. This is a human case. Isn't this what we should, the right thing to do? So how does that help or hinder again in your ability to influence change when some may always be looking at the bottom line and just the dollar impact? Yes. There was an initiative, it was called the Bold Initiative, that was uh, started about 1970s. And they were trying to understand how could they get leaders paying attention to diversity. And that's where you really had the origin of the business case, because they said at the moment that you can say it's linked to return on equity and revenues and innovation and better decision making, then people will start uh, uh, paying attention. And indeed, I think it was important going from the 1970s, 80s, 90s. What is interesting to your point is when you look at Generation Z or Generation Z, however you call it, <laughs> thank you, <laughs> is really diverse, most diverse mm-hmm. generation ever, and they are holding organisations responsible to pursue diversity, not because of the business case, but because of the moral or ethical or societal case. So this generation. If you go to them and say, now we are pursuing diversity because of the business case, you're going to have a cynical audience to start. So to your point, more and more organizations are recognizing that their strategic narrative for diversity, by all means, is customer congruence and understanding and satisfaction. But they need to be putting 
within their narrative that this is the right thing to do. This is the thing that one needs to do so that people are treated with respect, they have the opportunity to display their talents, etc., etc. So absolute good point. So as we come towards the end of our time together, for the people listening who get it, who say, yes, this is the right thing to do, and it may lead to business benefits, but it's the right thing to do. What advice do you have for somebody who is not the CEO or not the head of HR or not the head of any? How do they advance that conversation in a way that draws others in? There you go. I'll stop there. How do we all individually start to advance that conversation in a way that can draw others in? One of the things that I really have developed is a certification to address this point. You know, often we start talking about diversity and we talk about what society can do or what the organization can do. And I'm actually starting what can each person do, what I call the self and the self and the team. And part and part of a process of having an impact is starting the dialogue. And it's talking about the me. You know, diversity and inclusion is important to me because I believe it's important and I believe it's the right thing to do. And if I am a team leader, I talk about what are the things that I can do to invite you in? Uh, What can I do to allow us, in terms of all our diversity of background and thought, to be able to you know, put it together for benefits. So I think it is having this conversation and getting the dialogue. And you and I talked about also those courageous conversations. At the moment, the person steps in and saying, you know, I've just heard this and I'm sure it's not, you know, deliberate. It might be unwitting, but I want to raise my hand because I think if we don't say anything, it just perpetuates something people are really given so much courage to step in themselves. So what I say to people, don't wait for the organization and society to be doing things. By having your own narrative of why this is important and stepping in, you give other people wings uh, and, and you create an environment for something to happen. I get goosebumps because you're talking my language there, Kay. And at my new book, You, Me, We, Why We All Need a Friend at Work and How to Show Up as One, that is the premise that my co-authors and I have, which is don't wait for others to be a friend for you. It's how can you show up as a friend for others? How can you show up for as a friend to yourself? Because if you are sitting in the, a meeting feeling um, that your opinion isn't being heard or that you can't speak up because dot, 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 then find a way to find your voice because every team and every organization, your community needs you. So it's that you, me, we, one conversation at a time, and we can influence it at all levels if we choose to step up. And in my case, if I choose to step into that slightly discomfort conversation that helps everybody to recalibrate how we're showing up for each other. Hear, hear. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, if I could just build on it, I often, uh, for the work that I do on the neuroscience of unconscious bias, I say, you know what is even more damaging 
than the unconscious bias that someone has about you is the unconscious bias that you have about yourself in terms of what am I allowed to do or what should be the ideal uh, leader, which makes us often try to be superwoman versus mm-hmm. the authentic person working day to day in a collaborative way. So, you, you know, I think when we, we, we go to the work environment and also in our life and we are very resolute about who am I and what impact would I like to have by being very close to myself, um, I, I think we've got the ingredients for change. So picking on that phrase then, the impact I would like to have, I'm going to ask you that then, Kay. As you look to the future, whether it's a year from now or 10 years from now, but what is the impact that you're hoping to have, the legacy that you're hoping to leave as a result of Beyond DNI and the work that you're doing every single day? I would love to create strands of humanity. You know, uh, having been a partner in a big professional services organization and all this focus on achieving and doing and what I realize actually through my career is what is impactful is what you've talked about, the daily conversations, putting someone in their light, uh, creating a sense of belonging. Uh, you know, I think we've grown up to kind of think that we have to be the president of something to be successful. And I think the success is the daily human conversations which allows other people to succeed. It's time for us to be the president of me, the president of us, and take ownership for it. Oh, I could keep going, Kay. I have so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for sharing all, well, just some. I was going to say all of your insights. Sharing the insights that you shared, but I know that there is so much more richness behind it. So on that note, for people who are listening, How can they learn more about you or how can they learn more about how they're showing up in the world and take those first steps of ownership in creating an inclusive environment wherever they are? So um, the first one is that I really try to create this one-to-one relationship. So, you know, I invite people to simply reach out to me, uh, k at diversityandperformance.com. It's written for diversity and performance. I'm obviously the uh, the author of Beyond DNI, Leading Diversity with uh, Purpose and Inclusiveness. There's a book site which is called Beyond D and I, Beyond Diversity and uh, Inclusion. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, There's a YouTube uh, channel on each of uh, the, the chapters of the book, So these are all the ways uh, that uh, people can reach out. And I really do try to give an answer uh, and respond. Okay, well, you heard it here. We'll make sure all of that information is put into the show notes. Kay, I truly appreciate your time today. Thank you for joining me on People First. Thank you, Mareg. And also thank you for your excellent book and uh, for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line 
at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.